0: one but i'm working out i love to listen to your podcast whenever you say something other people react to it taking my breath away aaron Fern lundquist joins me hall of famer jim calhoun nascar icon dale earnhardt jr kirk herb street is on the phone here. Welcome in! We? Episode 7, yeah. Oh, yeah. 97, the to Episode 797, the podcast of Super America, the Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is enjoying the day before Thanksgiving. That's right. This episode dropping around noon Eastern the day before Thanksgiving. Listen, Torres is a lot of things, but he is considerate. He knows you're traveling. He knows you're with your family. He knows you need Just a little time away from them. So we have a jam-packed episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. By the way, before I forget, happy Thanksgiving. In all seriousness, I do hope you enjoy time with your friends, your family, your loved ones. And today's show is going to be pretty straightforward. We're going to open the big games in college football. Michigan-Ohio State, my preview and pick. The Iron Bowl, preview and pick. Quickly rip through. Civil War, Oregon State, Oregon. Texas, Texas Tech. Uh, Florida, Florida State. Kentucky, Louisville. On and on and on and on and on. And then from there, we'll get to some Feast Week stuff. Now, I'm recording in the middle of the day on Wednesday, so it doesn't make it easy. But I want to give you some thoughts on the semifinals and everything that has happened through Tuesday night at the Maui Invitational. Marquette's looking good. Uh, that Purdue can, uh, Purdue-Tennessee Purdue debacle. 48 free throws. per Purdue, what was going on there? We'll discuss that. And then we'll also talk a little bit about UConn Empire Classic, some thoughts on UConn. So we got a busy show. A lot of college football at the front. A lot of college basketball at the end. It is going to be a fun one again. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoy time with friends and loved ones. But also, thank you for spending time with Torres in the lead up to it. And with that said, no more time to waste. Let's get to the topic of the day. There is only one place to start, and it's as follows. It is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines. They actually opened as a five-point favorite down to three and a half points in the DraftKings sports, the over-under set at 46 and a half. When I look at this game, first thing that stands out, the great part about getting to this time of the year, you don't need me to tell you who these teams are and what they're about. We've all watched Michigan. We've all watched Ohio State. We know their strengths and weaknesses. Um, And from the Michigan perspective, we know not only what's at stake, but everything they've gone through over the last couple weeks, right? You don't need me to tell you about Connor Stein. You don't need me to tell you about the three-game suspension by the Big Ten the decision by Michigan not to fight it last Thursday, and, of course, uh, the firing of a linebackers coach, Chris Partridge, on Friday. You also don't need me to tell you that they barely survived against the University of Maryland on Saturday at Maryland. And so when I look at this game, a couple things stand out. One, they got off to that great start against Maryland, played really well. They jumped out 23-3, to and then it just felt like they were holding on for dear life the rest of the game. Offense kind of sputtered. J.J. McCarthy wasn't great. Run game was not great. And so you look at Michigan coming in, and I don't think anyone would argue that they are playing their best football at this point. And as a matter of fact, I think you can argue, you know, uh, the the offense is actually a little bit of a concern coming into this game. Just going back to last week, as I said, J.J. McCarthy, I I would argue maybe played his worst game as a quarterback at Michigan uh, on Saturday against Maryland. Now, he had a bad game against Bowling Green earlier this year. But at the same time, here is the final stat line for JJ McCarthy: twelve of twenty-three passing, one hundred forty-one yards, one interception, and that is against a Maryland pass defense that bluntly is not very good. Okay, we aren't talking about the uh, Legion of Boom here. Nobody's calling the the Maryland pass defense the Legion of Boom here. And Michigan struggled to move the ball against that team. They're probably about a middle third of the co- of the country kind of uh, uh, pass defense from Maryland's perspective. But the other thing with Michigan that I don't think enough people are talking about not only coming into this game but over the course of the season is that Michigan has really struggled to run the ball this year in ways that they haven't in the past. Last week against Maryland, they finished uh with 150 ru- uh, rushing yards which doesn't sound bad it was on 45 attempts, about 3 yards per carry. And I looked it up just to see is it as bad as I think it is. They currently rank 50th nationally in rush yardage that is insane when you consider that last year they finished fifth nationally in rush yardage and then of course the year before in 2021 when they won the big 10 for the first time under jim harbaugh they finished 15th. so 15th then peaked at number five and then now back down to 50th this year a little bit of a positive note however coming into this game they were without their starting left tackle ladarius hence uh henderson excuse me last week against maryland also, his backup Miles Hinton, who started in his place, he got hurt during the game. Uh, on Monday, Sharon Moore did say he expects both of them to play. As the same with Roman Wilson, the starting wide receiver, he got kind of took a big hit early in the game. It was clear that they were kind of uh, you know being precautious with him. Jenny Taft said during the game there, there there was no reason for concern, but it was extra precaution. So he gets pulled. All three are expected back. From the Ohio State perspective, it's interesting because I was thinking about this. You know, Michigan. We really kind of learned a lot about them starting with the Penn State game. Like the first eight games of the season were just whatever. And now with Ohio State, it's kind of the opposite. Everything led up to the Penn State game. Notre Dame, a couple other games, whatever. And then they beat Penn State, and they've largely, as much as Ohio State can be, they've been off the radar the last couple weeks, haven't they? You think about Ohio State over the last couple weeks. Here are their last four games since they played uh, Michigan. Last five games. Last four games, excuse me. They play, or they, since they played Penn state. Okay. They played at Rutgers. You played at Wisconsin, You played Michigan state at home. They played Minnesota at home. And now they enter this game off of those four games. So they haven't really had all that much to really like, like it's not really, it's hard for us to kind of figure out like, okay, who are they? And what are they about? Play a six and five Rutgers team, uh, six and five Wisconsin team that was playing their backup quarterback, Braden Locke, at that point, You play a bad Michigan State team, 4-7. and You play Minnesota last week, which is 5-6. and Just not the best competition. I do think there are some positives for Ohio State coming into this game. You know, one, they're just getting healthy, right? Like, it's not often teams get healthier as the season goes on. But remember back to that Penn State game. No Emeka Abuka. No Travion Henderson. A couple defensive players were out. Well, one, Emeka Abuka is back. He was actually their leading receiver last week against Minnesota, not Marvin Harrison. Travion Henderson. I don't think people realize how good Travion Henderson has been this year. Okay. So the last five games that Travion Henderson has played in which he is essentially healthy. This is what Travion Henderson has done. Okay. Last week against Minnesota, 15 carries, 146 yards, two touchdowns. That's about 10 yards per carry week before 13 carries for 63 yards, one touchdown, 22 carries for 128 yards against uh, Rutgers. Uh, We had 24 carries for 162 yards against Wisconsin. That's seven yards per carry. And then seven yards per carry against Notre Dame when he rushed for 104 yards on 14 carries. And so I look at this Ohio State team. They are starting to get healthy at a time of year when most people aren't. And so when I break down this game, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting because the discourse is already starting. But what is interesting to me is as follows is it does feel like Ohio State slowly, I always say it's like the Plinko machine on on Prices Right, the yodeler, not Plinko, the yodeler, whatever, whatever that that guy is that goes up the mountain, okay? And then Michigan, it feels like, at best, they've kind of flatlined over the last couple weeks, and at worst, they're, they're regressing without Jim Harbaugh. And so I think the natural inclination is to say that I think a lot of people like Ohio State, the money is coming in on Ohio State. I'm here to tell you, I'm not one of those people, and I'm picking Michigan to win outright, although I will say my best bet is the under. In terms of why I like Michigan to win, a couple things. One, first off, let's get one thing straight. I keep hearing J.J. McCarthy, I don't trust J.J. McCarthy, okay? And if that's how you feel, that's fine. There is no doubt there are all sorts of numbers that back up that he has not been the same player with Jim Harbaugh, as without Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines with him. Jim Harbaugh doesn't call plays. He's not the quarterback's coach, but there is clearly a level of comfort with Jim Harbaugh that is not there when Jim Harbaugh is not there. I will not deny you that J.J. McCarthy has not been the same player without Jim Harbaugh. But here's my question for everybody that says they don't trust J.J. McCarthy. Does that mean that inherently you do trust Kyle McCord? Because with due respect to Kyle McCord, listen, this isn't tear down a 19-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid that's trying to figure himself out. But Kyle McCord, it's not as though Kyle McCord is lighting things up himself. And so if you want to say J.J. McCarthy has regressed, that's fine. But here's my question. Has Kyle McCord gotten better over the course of the season? Because I'm not sure that he has. Even against Minnesota, 20 yards, uh, 20 of 30 passing, 212 yards, two touchdowns. That's a solid, fine performance. It's not C.J. Stroud. It's not Justin Fields. It's not the late Dwayne Haskins. Like, he's fine. He's okay. By the way, at Wisconsin, 17 of 26, 226 yards against Rutgers, 169 yards passing. This is the guy that is going to go into Michigan and just completely outduel J.J. McCarthy. I'm not saying J.J. McCarthy is good, but are we sure Kyle McCord is? And that's not a disrespect. That's not a disrespect. What I am just saying is the focus is so much on J.J. McCarthy that I don't think enough focus is on the other quarterback as well. By the way, that's why I picked Michigan to beat Penn State a few weeks ago. I said, I don't care if, if Jim Harbaugh's there. I've seen Drew Aller in a big game. Drew Aller, I don't trust against an elite defense. So that's one. Two, I I do think we're underselling kind of the emotional roller coaster that Michigan has been on over the last couple weeks, okay? Because remember, the Penn State game was all emotion, right? It was flying to the game. You don't know if Jim Harbaugh is there. Then you're waiting in the hotel, trying to figure out, are you going to get that injunction? We didn't get official word that Jim Harbaugh would definitely not be coaching that game until a few hours before kickoff, okay? So you have the emotion in that game. This past week, it was the exact opposite. It was really, really, really quiet. You hear nothing out of Michigan. They find out about 36, 48 hours before that Harbaugh will not be there. And it's it, you, you kind of just have time to, to to take it all in. There is no emotion. There are no highs. There are no lows. But then you get up big. You let your foot off the gas. I'm not saying that they played well. But I do think they let their foot off the gas. It was a trap game. Joel Klatt and and, and, uh, Gus Johnson and Jenny talked about it during the game. It was a trap game, a motion of Penn State, a motion of Ohio State, Maryland in the middle on the road. By the way, Maryland plays everybody tough. Remember, Michigan barely beat Maryland at home last year. Ohio State, people forget this. The week before the Michigan game, Ohio State, they have the ball. Maryland has the ball with like two minutes to go and the chance to drive the length of the field to score, to take the lead and win the game. Talia Tonga Viola, act re- return for a score. Ohio State ends up winning by 13. But they always play these teams tough. The talent gap, relatively speaking, is not that big. I'm not saying it's the, the same as Ohio State. But from like Ohio State to Purdue or Ohio State to Minnesota or Michigan to Illinois, there's a much bigger gap than Michigan and Ohio State to, to Maryland. And Maryland plays those teams tough. Finally, let me just say this, and 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 this is all psychoanalysis, and I'm not going to try to claim that I'm a, a an expert in this category. But I've said, but I said before the Penn State Michigan game, one of the other reasons I like Michigan, I said teams take after the energy of their coaches. Okay, Jim Harbaugh, did you see what he said in his Monday press conference about his team in the locker room? Somebody asked him about the locker room, you know, the energy, the vibe, whatever. His response, did you see this? This is a direct quote. I'm not making this up. He goes, I like my locker rooms like I like my mom's bathing suit, all in one piece. Now, let me ask you a question. That's an incredible quote. Does that sound like a guy that is going to be nervous during this week? And do you think that is a guy that is going to put nervous energy into his team? I don't see it, especially at home. Ryan day. We'll see. I'm trying to be fair. I think he's done a great job with this group this year, but this is a guy remember it's about five, six weeks ago. He was hearing the noise. He was hearing Lou Holtz. He's complete. I mean, imagine, imagine winning one of the biggest games of your career at Notre Dame. And the first thing you think of is to crush Lou Holtz. I just, I didn't like that. And to me, that's what I believe about Ryan day. Great coach. Looks great against the Minnesotas and the Rutgers and the Michigan States. But in the big games, I think he hears the noise. And I think he knows what this fan base would be like if he ends up losing to to Michigan without Jim Harbaugh. And that's, I think, part of this that's gotten lost as well. We're talking about the Michigan angle of things. Listen, Ohio State fans are great. They've been great to me, you know, whatever. Why I bring it up. Do you know what that Ohio State fan base would be like if they lose to Michigan again without Jim Harbaugh? And I think Ryan Day, Ohio State, I think the fans have enjoyed so much poking at Michigan that they haven't taken the time to get like like, it's all about Michigan. And the only reason I think the perception that I have seen from the outside is that I think there's a lot of Ohio State fans that truly believe the only reason Michigan beat them the last two years was because of Connor Stallions, because sign stealing was because of cheating. And so I bring it up because imagine if they lose this game. All that goodwill from Ryan Day will be gone. I like Michigan to win. My official best bet is the under. I think I don't think either team breaks 24. I'm going to say 21 to 10 Michigan wins. I think it's low scoring. I think it's close possessions. I like Michigan to win, but the under is my best bet. Let's keep it going. Iron Bowl. Alabama Auburn. Alabama is a 15-point favorite. The game is at Auburn. Uh, the over-under in this one is set at 49. Talk about two teams going in different directions, or two teams at least coming off a unique week. You can't be coming off different weeks more than Auburn and Alabama. Okay, So Auburn, it has been well-documented. Auburn lost to New Mexico State on Saturday. It was one of those bye games that you schedule five years in advance and you pay them $2 million to come to your place to take a butt-kicking. Nobody told Jerry killing those Aggies from Las Cruces, New Mexico, okay? The producer of this show, Matt, shout out Matt, great guy that works very hard to help get this show on air. He is an Auburn grad. He called it the worst loss of his time as an Auburn fan. He grew up as an Auburn fan and went to Auburn as well. Said it's the worst loss of his life. And what was crazy about that game, there was nothing fluky about it. You know, Hugh Freeze even acknowledged He's like, we got outplayed, we got outcoached. It's my fault I did not have the team ready. But you look at the box score, you watch the game. Usually when something like this happens, there's an injury, there's fluke, there's this, there's that. You understand that New Mexico State had almost twice as many yards as Auburn. You understand that they had the same number of turnovers, zero, the same number of penalties, and the same number of penalty yards. So it's not like... Auburn had 15 penalties for 140 penalty yards and New Mexico state had two penalties, even penalties, even penalty yards. There wasn't like a six to one turnover differential. Auburn just lost. And so that's what Auburn is coming into this game. And there was so much positive energy around the program. You beat Arkansas, you beat Mississippi state the week before you have a chance to be on a, what a three game winning streak coming into this game. Now you're six and five, obviously trying to avoid going six and six. Although I think obviously realistically, um, that's probably what's going to happen. By the way, Auburn would have been on a four-game winning streak. I said three. They also beat Vandy in that mix. So Mississippi State, Vandy, and uh, and Arkansas was a three-game winning streak before Saturday against New Mexico State. Then there's Alabama. And Alabama, we've talked about so much on this show and the Aaron Torres pod, you don't need me to tell you. They've just gotten better every single week since South Florida in week three. Week two, they lose to Texas. Week three, they're trying to figure out the quarterback situation. Week four was Ole Miss. They just get better. They get better. They get better. They get better. Um, out of the, bye, 42 to 21, 28 win over LSU, completely shut down LSU in the second half. I know there was the hit on Jaden Daniels. I get it. Um, after that, they take care of business against Kentucky. And then last week they destroyed Chattanooga. So both these teams are coming in hot. And I think the way that I look at this game is one of two directions. I guess I don't have a pick as of right now, but I think I probably will by Wednesday or Thursday, but I don't have one right now. And let me explain why. I think if you just look at this from a matchup perspective, Alabama should cover the 15 points, okay? And the reason why, Alabama's just got so many more better players. We've talked about this with Auburn since, you know, the day Hugh Freeze took over. Like, Brian Harson basically stopped recruiting. And Hugh Freeze has done an incredible job in the recruiting ranks in the high school, the portal, the 2024, 2023, even back to last year. But the talent levels aren't even comparable right now. And Hugh Freeze has talked about it all year. Talked about it going into LSU. Talked about it going into AM, Talked about it going into Ole Miss. The talent level just isn't where it needs to be. More specifically, the thing that Alabama does offensively better than anything, they run the football. Auburn isn't very good at defending. 80th in the country in rush defense. So you have that element of it. My thing, though, is you have to also look at the history of this rivalry, how much this means to the people of that state, to the fans in that stadium, and to these two schools. You understand that Nick Saban, best to ever do it. You know he's only four and four in games at Auburn as the head coach at, Mich- at, at, at Michigan. At Alabama. That's not bad. It just shows you how big this rivalry is. Last three games that Alabama has played at Auburn. Lost in double overtime two years ago. Remember, that was a year Alabama played for a national championship and won the SEC. They won, they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game by a larger margin than they won at Auburn the week before. And then the two years before that, 2019 and 2017, Auburn beat him. Last three times that Alabama has gone to the Plains, gone to Jordan Hare, Auburn is two and one. The only win by Alabama was a a double overtime win. And also remember, Hugh Freeze has had success against Nick Saban too. Now I'm not saying that that has anything to do with this, but Hugh Freeze obviously has beaten Nick Saban twice. I believe the stat remains the only coaches to beat Nick Saban. More than once at Alabama are Dabo Sweeney, Gus Malzon, and Hugh Freeze. I bring it up to say, history says this will be a close game. And the other thing I'll say, like, Auburn at home is a good team even this year. I don't know how many people realize this. Georgia, who I think everybody thinks right now is the best team in college football. I know what their closest margin victory was in any game this season. A 27-20 win at Auburn. Closest game they played all year. They've been able to pull away from everybody else in the second half. Tennessee, Missouri, um, South Carolina, whoever, Ole Miss, Kentucky. I guess Ole Miss and Kentucky, they pulled away in the first half. But you get the point. Auburn just hung around, hung around, hung around, hung around, fought, 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 fought. And you wonder if they can do it again. Same with Ole Miss, by the way. They beat uh, Ole Miss one at Auburn, but it was by seven points. So ultimately, I don't know that right now in this week I have a pick but if I had to make a pick right now, I'd lean Auburn plus 15, but I don't feel good about it. All right, really quickly before we switch gears to the Feast Week College Hoops, let's just talk some of the other big rivalry week games in college football. Not going to spend a ton of time on these. Uh, you know, it, it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. of. Uh, let's just talk uh, rivalry games, okay? First of all, Egg Bowl, Thursday night, Mississippi State hosting Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a 10-point favorite. I'm not betting this one. You know, I think Ole Miss wins. Mississippi State's playing for an interim head coach. Half the guys are checked out, but it is a rivalry game. It is a night game. Remember, that is a Thursday night Thanksgiving night game. Egg Bowl, I think Ole Miss wins. Uh, Two interesting games for the college football playoff picture on Black Friday. Texas Tech at Texas and also Oregon State at Oregon. Texas is a 13-point favorite against Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Listen, I'm not picking Texas to lose this game. We know who they are at this point. We know who they are are and have been under Steve Sarkeesian. Great in the first half, build big leads, great on script. But then you get them off script, and it's always a battle for survival at the end. At the same time, they have beaten everybody on the schedule, uh, except for Oklahoma, obviously. But they they win a lot of these close games. They're used to it. They could have lost the K-State game, One Iowa State got interesting for a second. They won. Uh, you go on and on down the list. Houston barely held on for dear life. Until they actually lose, it is hard for me to pick against them. Give me Texas against Texas Tech. The late one on Friday night. This is a very intriguing one. Oregon State at Oregon. Oregon is a 13 and half point favorite. We know what's at stake for Oregon. Win this game, and you are playing Washington in a de facto college football playoff play-in game. Essentially, the winner of that game will almost certainly be in the playoff. The loser will not be. For Oregon, you're a 13 and a half point favorite. Listen, if I had to bet this one, I would lean Oregon State. Not only is it a rivalry game, not only is Oregon State good, but also keep in mind um, that Oregon State, like I, 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 they don't really lose close games. They're eight and three this year. All of their losses are by three points or less. And then last year they went 10 and three, and two of their losses were by three points or less as well. So five of their six losses over the last two years by three points or less. Uh, I think the pressure's on Oregon. I do think they're going to win. The one thing I'll say about Oregon, by the way, um, you know, one, they're not even necessarily in the Pac-12 championship game if they lose this. If they lose this game and Arizona beats Arizona State in the Territorial Cup, it will actually be Washington, Arizona in the Pac-12 championship game. But then two, Oregon, they're playing really well right now. One thing I'll say, Oregon always seems to have that moment in November when they get tripped up. Remember, 2019, could have made the college football playoff, lose at Arizona State, 2021. Could have made the college football playoff, lose to Utah, then lost to Utah again uh, a few days, a few games later in the Pac-12 championship game. Last year, lose to Washington at home. So I'm not saying it happens. I expect it close. I expect it low scoring. I do think Oregon wins. Moving to Saturday, a uh, couple games of note. One, Commonwealth. You know the the, the Battle of the Commonwealth, the Governor's Cup. Kentucky at Louisville. I'll say this. I think Louisville wins. First off, everyone's talking. We talked about this a little bit on Monday. Everybody's talking about, well, what happens if Florida State? Da da da. What happens if Louisville wins out? If they beat Kentucky, beat Florida State to finish 12 and one as an ACC champ. I'm not saying they get into the playoff, but like that is the one playoff scenario that nobody seems to have even taken into account. That is very much in play. The other thing I'll just say this, Kentucky fans, I know you're still listening. You, You listen religiously to this show, and I appreciate your support. I want your perspective on this. I really get the sense that the loss to South Carolina last week has kind of turned the tide on Mark Stoops. Nobody's saying he's going to get fired. Nobody's saying he's the worst coach that's ever walked the face of the earth. But those were games against a beat-up South Carolina team that isn't very good that two, three years ago, Mark Stoops never lost. Now, he might lose to a Georgia. He might lose to an Alabama. He might lose to whoever, a Tennessee, if Tennessee is elite like last year. But to lose to South Carolina when South Carolina isn't very good. Mark Stoops right now, currently they started 5-0. Obviously, this is game number 12. So in the last six games, he is 1-5. I think it's worth noting. 1-5 since those NIL comments. I didn't like him at the time. I thought it would divide the locker room. Whatever. We might have to have that conversation on, on Monday's Aaron Torres pot if Kentucky gets blown out. But I didn't like Mark Stoops' comments then. I don't like him now. Kentucky is struggling. I think Louisville wins. Also in the noon Eastern window. Very interesting game a and at LSU, LSU an 11 and a half point favorite L- LSU is going to win. And the one thing I'll say about LSU, it seems as though Brian Kelly is doing everything that he can to get Jaden Daniels in the Heisman conversation. I'm not saying if they're up, you know, 65 to 10 with eight minutes to go, that Jaden Daniels is going to be throwing 80 yard bombs. But it's clear that Brian Kelly wants him to be in New York, maybe win the Heisman Trophy, maybe to take a little pressure off Brian Kelly, who's kind of had a disappointing year, too. Although I think that's kind of nonsense, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Apple Cup, Washington State is a 16 and a half point underdog against Washington. I expect Washington to win at this point. Washington, it's kind of pretty clear. They're almost certainly going to have to win the Pac-12 championship game to ensure a playoff spot. Uh, if they lose this one, it's not as big of a deal as long as they take care of Oregon. But I think they win. I mentioned the Territorial Cup. Arizona, ten and a half point favorite at ASU. Arizona, one of the best stories in college football. Eight and three have the potential to go nine and three. You know it's going well. When Texas A&M fans are like, who is this Jed Fish guy? We got to talk about him as a potential head coach. I think Arizona wins. By the way, Jed Fish, I don't believe is going anywhere. Uh, not any of the jobs that are open up this year anyway. Really quickly, Clemson, a seven-point favoring in South Carolina. Clemson's going to win. I think they cover two. And then you talk about the stay away of stayaways. Florida State, a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Florida. Jordan Travis, out. Graham Mertz, out. A battle of backup quarterbacks. Total stay away to me. All right. Whew, that is a lengthy first segment of the Aaron pod. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. And when we come back, we're going to switch gears to feast week in college basketball because Maui Invitational is going on. Now we're kind of recording it the, towards the tail end of the tournament, but I'm still going to share some thoughts on that. Also some thoughts on uh, UConn in the Empire Classic. Quick break. Be right back. Thank you, everybody, for your support of the Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. And we have a major announcement as we have partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook and the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And here is the best part. DraftKings has an incredible offer exclusive to listeners of this show. This is the offer. This is what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. First-time customers. Bet $5 on any game, and you get $150 in bonus bets instantly. When you use the promo code TORRES, T-O-R-R-E-S, again, first-time customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on any game, pro, college, football, basketball, hockey, whatever you want, and you get $150 in bonus bets instantly. When you use the promo code TORRES, thank you to DraftKings. Take advantage now. All right, everybody, I am back. Going to be back, going to be back. I do want to... Switch gears, uh, and I do want to talk a little bit of Feast Week in college basketball. Now, bluntly, just because of the way the schedule breaks and the taping schedule breaks, there's no perfect time to to do this segment, right? Um, There aren't many weeks a year where you have games tipping off at noon Eastern and not ending until well after midnight Eastern. This is one of them, and so because of it, there is no right time, and even as I record here, Uh, The Maui Invitational is still going on while the Battle of Atlantis is just getting going. So I want to share some thoughts with the understanding. I'm recording here on Wednesday morning, so just be aware. We have the Maui Invitational Championship game at 5 o'clock Eastern between Purdue and Marquette. We have the third-place game between Tennessee and Kansas, what many thought would be the final uh, in the third-place game at 2.30 Eastern Eastern. So just understand, no matter what I say, it's not going to be perfect. And frankly, maybe some of it will actually even be a little bit outdated by the time you listen, but who knows? Maybe Torres is so good that I'm going to tell you what happens even before it does happen in the championship game and the uh, third place game. Also, before we wrap, we will talk a little bit about UConn, which went to the Empire Classic and destroyed Indiana, beat Texas comfortably, and looks really good. But let's start in Maui, Uh, you know, really just listen, it it was hyped as maybe the greatest uh, Thanksgiving week tournament ever, and it's largely lived up to expectations. I want to start with the late night semifinal on Tuesday evening, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, depending on where you are, tipped off at right around 11 p.m. Eastern time, an unfortunate break of the schedule. But number four, Marquette versus number one, Kansas and Marquette. Let me say this. They laid waste to Kansas, the number one team in the country, uh, coming into the week. 73-59 to was the final score. As I joked on Twitter, and I had just come from a family event, so maybe I had had a a few cold beverages before I tweeted it, but I said Marquette has Kansas shook in a way that the NCAA and the FBI never could, baby. That is right, but let's break it down. And let me start by saying this. I want to start with the victor. I want to start with Marquette. And something stands out to me about them. I thought they had maybe one of the single most impressive wins that nobody gave them credit for early in the season when they went to Illinois and beat the Illini in Champaign. Okay, remember Illinois about two weeks before had played Kansas in a charity exhibition at home, and if you watched that game or if you saw highlights, it was clear both teams were playing that game to win. Well, Kansas beats Illinois beats Kansas at home. Hans is the number one team in the country, and everyone says, well, it's an exhibition, whatever. But then Marquette goes to the same building with the same crowd, the same atmosphere, the same intensity, and they win at Illinois. And so I thought they didn't get enough credit for it. Granted, it happened the night of the Champions Classic when uh, Kentucky and Kansas and Michigan State and Duke were playing. And so I just thought this team is way better than everyone is giving them credit for. Remember, Marquette was the Big East regular season champ last year, Big East tournament champ last year. They beat UConn twice. They bring back everybody. And I actually just thought this was a very good matchup for Marquette in the semifinal against Kansas. Kansas, obviously, a week or so ago, struggled with kind of the speed and quickness of Kentucky's backcourt. Well, Marquette is kind of just an older, more polished version of Kentucky. They maybe don't have the NBA upside of, of, of a Rob Dillingham, a Reed Shepard, a DJ Wagner, who I do still believe in Kentucky fans, by the way. But at the same time, I thought, you know, this is a more polished, more more, more experienced team. And I think they're going to give Kansas trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Finished the game, forcing 18 turnovers for Kansas. Uh, the, the funny thing was they did shoot the three ball not very well. So, you know, you you look at the Marquette win. This is what kind of stood out to me. They beat Kansas by 14. Uh, Tyler Kolick, the preseason Big East player of the year, finishes with six points, although he did have four assists and five steals. Uh, And Cam Jones, who maybe is a little bit banged up, Mick Cronin in the first round kind of referenced Cam Jones, looks injured to me during one of his uh, in-game interviews. So your two best players, Cam Jones finishes with 10, Tyler Kolick finishes with six, But you just get so much production off, uh, you know, uh, uh, around the board. Chase Ross, a sophomore off the bench, finished with 12 points. And, of course, on top of that, Osa Igadoro finishes with 21. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because, again, Marquette's playing in the championship game against Purdue. I give this team so much credit, though. Listen, sometimes I think when you return everybody, it doesn't always work out. Just because you return everybody doesn't mean that you're necessarily better than you were a year ago. You look at North Carolina last season, preseason number one, based off what they did the year before they missed the NCAA tournament. I just bring it up because this Marquette team looks really good. Uh, I think you can argue that early in the season, two of maybe the three, four best teams we've seen, UConn and Marquette are both in the big East credit to Marquette for beating Kansas uh, and Marquette will play Purdue in the, in the final at 5 PM Eastern on Wednesday. If you're listening before that, enjoy the game, you know, really quickly from the Kansas perspective, let me say this. What does Torres always say in situations like this? Sometimes in life, two things can be true. And I believe that is the case for the Kansas Jayhawks. What do I mean by that? It's that one. I don't think Kansas was as good as everybody made them out to be in the preseason, but I don't think it is time to ever, you never give up on a bill self team in November never give up on them in January, or February, but you definitely don't give up on them in November. And and I think we're kind of in that middle ground. I never thought Kansas was the number one team in the country. And I had them at two, three, four, five, whatever. I didn't think they were the number one team. I didn't pick them to go to the final four. I didn't pick them to win the national championship. And it's for a lot of the reasons that we're seeing right now. They were never uh, a great three point shooting team on paper. They actually shot the ball reasonably well against Marquette. But on the season, you look at at, at their whole uh, their, their whole body of work, shooting the three ball well overall, but really didn't love some of the pieces. I think Dewan Harris is a really good college point guard, but he's limited. Kevin McCullers a little bit better than I thought. But ultimately, I just said, I don't see the dudes across the board that I see at a UConn, I, even like Arizona's got guys everywhere. And I didn't see that at Kansas. So I was a little bit lower on them coming in. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I I liked Arizona more than Kansas. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I just didn't think they were as good as everybody was making them out to be. But what I'll also say from the Kansas perspective, like the people that are like, well, I mean, if if this doesn't happen, the season's just done. I saw a lot of that. Well, if this guy doesn't do this. Then the season's done. No, no, no. First of all, Bill Self is not only one of the great talent developers of all time. What I think Bill Self does better than anyone in college basketball right now, John Calipari's up there, uh, Eric Musselman's up there as well. His teams get better over the course of the year every single year. And with a Calipari, it's usually a young team that kind of grows and evolves. Kansas, though, they have guys that are sophomores and juniors that don't look playable in November and December that all of a sudden are hitting big shots in March. And so when I look at Kansas, what I'm seeing right now is a team that is overly reliant on three players, Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCullough, and Dewan Harris. Uh, you know, tragically, KJ Evans, uh KJ Adams, excuse me, KJ Evans plays for uh, Oregon. KJ Adams, his his mother did pass away a few days ago. He's he hasn't missed a game, but I just bring it up because I think when you look at at Kansas, they're getting 22 a game from Hunter Dickinson, 19 a game from Kevin McCullough, and then there was a big drop-off after that. Where I think the issue is for Kansas. Some of their death pieces just not are, are not ready. Nick Timberlake, a transfer from Towson. I am here to tell you, everyone in college basketball wanted Nick Timberlake, okay? I am here to tell you, he took a, an official visit to UConn during the recruiting process. And UConn, he was priority number one for UConn in the portal. Now, they ended up getting Cam Spencer, so it worked out okay. But I bring it up because I am telling you, everybody wanted him. This kid is not playing well right now. Averaged 17 a game on 42% three-point shooting last year. He is now averaging, how about this? He is averaging four per game at Kansas on 31% from three. That's going to get better as he gets more comfortable at the high major level. Uh, And some of their freshmen just are not playing well enough right now. Johnny Furphy, uh, a a high-profile Australian recruit, is averaging six per game. El Marco Jackson, a guy that many believe has lottery-type talent, is averaging six points per game on 39%, shooting 22% from three. Now, he is uh, passing the ball well. But I just bring it up, say two or three of those. The, I just gave you three names. Two of them are going to be balling out by March because that's how good Bill Self is. But right now they're not good. So how worried am I about Kansas right now on a scale of one to 10? I'm just really not really quickly. The other side of the bracket, Purdue beat Tennessee on, on Tuesday night. And it's unfortunate Tennessee fans. I know you listen to this show. There's nothing else to say other than that. The refs hijacked the game. Okay. In total. I mean, these stats are are jarring when you hear them. Okay. So, in this game, Purdue versus Tennessee on Tuesday night in the first semifinal, Maui Invitational. And by the way, top 10 matchup between number two Purdue, number seven Tennessee. How about these for final stats? In total, there were 51 fouls called. And I don't know if I've ever seen this, but well, I mean, I have. It's bad. 48 free throw attempts for Purdue. And so, I mean, if you want me to sit here and overanalyze and, well, in the second half with eight minutes left, this it's like, it doesn't matter. When you call 51 fouls and one team takes 48 attempts, there's just, uh, there's nothing else to say. Tennessee ends up losing by four despite a plus, a negative 18 uh, free throw shooting differential. In other words, Purdue took 18 more free throws than them. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. One thing, uh, a couple things, you know, one, first of all, I don't totally blame the refs. I'll say this about Purdue, okay? Zach Eady is so big. And every time he touches the ball, it gets so physical around the rim. You don't know how to ref it. Now, the problem with refs is that once they kind of get in that game, that mode of it's going to be a tightly called game, then they got to stay with that all game. And that becomes a problem. But I was watching Purdue actually against Gonzaga on Monday. And it was funny because every Gonzaga uh, big guy had either three, four, five fouls fouled out of the game, much like Tennessee on Tuesday. But then two on top of that, why I bring it up is because of the fact that Jay Billis was on the call whining that Zach Edie was getting fouled and they weren't calling. I'm like, Zach and gets fouled on every play. And so the refs, it's impossible to, it's just impossible to ref him. You know, I'm not comparing his game to Shaq, but when Shaq played, you could argue that Shaq was fouled on every single play. Um, and and I think it's kind of the same with Zach Edie. And so unfortunately this was one of the games that was called more tightly I uh, Don't think it speaks in any ill will towards Tennessee that they weren't able to get this win. They play Kansas on uh, on Tuesday, on uh, what, what, what Wednesday afternoon, again, 2.30 Eastern time. I actually think really quickly in terms of the finals, uh, I think Tennessee is going to beat Kansas uh, in the semifinal, uh, in the third place game. And I do think uh, probably Purdue will beat Marquette in the final. Don't feel great about that either pick to be honest and it's so dated that by the time you hear this many of you will know the results but i bring it up because i'm not going to overanalyze this, the the 2nd semifinal. Tennessee tennessee's really good picked them to go to the final four doesn't change my opinion at all when they call 31 fouls against you and the other team takes 48 foul shots just not sure what you're supposed to do really quickly one other M- maui note and then i do want to get to the empire classic want to give credit to a team that i've been very critical of over the probably past six eight months that's the Gonzaga Bulldogs because Gonzaga, if you follow this program, it has felt like this is a program that I think the the days of them, there was about a five-year window where every year, even if you didn't like them, oh, they're overrated, they were good enough to win a national championship. I think last year, even though they made the Elite Eight, they lost to UConn, you didn't look at that team and say, that team is good enough to make the Final Four, win a national championship. Bring it up. They lose Drew Timmy. And I kind of got the sense like, ah, I don't know how good they're going to be. I looked at some of the pieces, watch them against Purdue, watch them against Syracuse in, 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 in the losers bracket. Gonzaga is way better than I thought. Okay. First of all, credit Ryan Nemhard, transfer from Creighton took a lot of heat when he left. Cause he was a starting point guard on an elite eight team. Definitely looks more comfortable there. And I guess he's kind of got to kind of have to be right. Because at the end of the day um, you know, with the one-time transfer rule, you're kind of stuck there for the rest of your career. But he's been playing really well uh, overall. I think they look better with Nolan Hickman, one of their star guards, playing off the ball. Ryan Nemhard, by the way, 11.7 assists against Syracuse in a in a loser's bracket win on Tuesday. But I bring it up because I think they look better with Nolan Hickman off the ball. Um, and I also think they, they have some young guys that are very intriguing. So they got a big guy named Braden Huff uh, who is averaging 14 points per game. He's actually the team's leading scorer right now. I really didn't know much about him. Uh, he actually redshirted last year, which is just funny to use the term redshirt in twenty twenty three. Uh, but Braden Huff uh, is playing really well. He he was supposed to play last year. Drew Timmy decides to come back for an extra year. Uh, he ends up redshirting. He's playing really well. Dusty Stromer is playing really well. Those two guards that I mentioned. So credit to Gonzaga for the win. Uh, they take uh, you know they take on uh, in the Maui Invitational as we speak they will play in a losers bracket game the late game against UCLA UCLA another one by the way interesting pieces in the freshman class most notably sebastian Mack. that's going to be a fun game curious uh, curious to see how that all plays out really quickly before we get out of here do want um do want uh to talk a little bit about uh do want to talk a little bit about the empire classic On Sunday and Monday, where UConn destroyed Indiana, and then they beat Texas. Uh, They won by double digits. How about this? And I I think I mentioned this on on Monday's show. Most incredible stat going in sports, UConn has now, since the start of last season, played 22 out-of-conference games. That includes last year's six games in the NCAA tournament. They also played Alabama last year, which, remember, got the number 1 overall seed in the NCAA tournament. They have played 22 out-of-conference games. UConn is 22-0 in those games, out-of-conference games since the start of last year, with 22 double-digit wins. What are we even doing here? So listen, this team is really good. And what I would say about their wins, a couple things stand out. They go to New York, they win the Empire Classic. I'm going to be blunt. I don't even think that they played that well. That's the scary part for the rest of college basketball. The reigning national champs, three key returnees. I don't think they played that well. Donovan Klingon, their, their star center returnee um, coming off a foot injury. He had seven points in the win against Indiana, seven points in the win against Texas. That was a guy that I think a lot of people thought would be a 2010 potential kind of guy. Um, on top of that, they're not playing with Stefan Castle lottery pick potential had a minor knee operation he says he's expecting to be back next friday against kansas we'll see if that actually happens but i just bring it up because think about that two potential lottery picks one had seven points per game one had zero points per game you win both by double figures and what stands out to me is two things with uconn one the number of guys who can beat you okay so tristan newton who was a starter on last year's national championship team in the first game against indiana tristan newton had how about this 23 points 11 rebounds the second game, he was a barely a contributor at all, barely a contributor at all. And other guys stepped up. Cam Newton's uh, Cam Newton, Cam Spencer stepped up uh, uh, the the transfer from Rutgers. He had 16 points. Alex Caraban, the the returnee who was a star in that championship run last year, had 20. And that's what really stands out to me about UConn. One, when they're fully healthy, they got about five, six guys that can beat you on any given day. Donovan Klingon, Alex Caraban, Cam Spencer, not Cam Newton, Cam Spencer. Tristan Newton. Um, so many different guys can beat you on top of that. The other thing that stands out, if you watch UConn, that's what I want you to do next time they play in a big game. Now their next big game is against Kansas on Friday. You might see somebody, somebody very important and handsome on the sidelines. I won't tell you who we'll get some details there. Um, but I bring it up because uh, I bring it up because, sorry, I was, I was maybe humbly bragging about myself anyway. Um, UConn plays so hard, and that's what stands out to me. If you watch them, the reason that they're 22-0, and 0, and Dan Hurley has talked about this. He said, we build our team for the out-of-conference. We know the Big East is going to be a grind. We build it for the out-of-conference. And you watch them. There are just moments in games where a team's in it, 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 a team's competing, a team's competing. And then UConn just – Flips a switch and they are they're diving on the floor for loose balls. They're throwing elbows. They're jumping over you. They're jumping through you. I mean, UConn in that Texas game, there was a couple moments. They have a kid named Hassan Diar transferred two years ago from Texas A and M. Really was a, a an important role player whose role diminished as the season went on. He ended up with eight point six rebounds, two assists, and two steals against Texas, and it was just by pure outworking everybody. And so I want you to watch this with UConn. They play so hard and they beat you up and they're so relentless on the glass. And this is a culture and a mindset that Dan Hurley has instilled. And so I love everything about this UConn team. I'm so excited um, to watch them kind of continue to evolve here over the course of this season. Because the crazy part is they're a top five team. They just beat two good teams in Indiana and Texas. I don't think they're slowing down anytime soon. You want to catch UConn this next Friday. Not Friday as in Black Friday, but the following Friday they play at Kansas then the Friday after, or two Fridays after that, they play Gonzaga in Seattle. So there will be more marquee games. They also play North Carolina uh, at Madison Square Garden as part of the Jimmy V Classic. So keep an eye out. You, you haven't seen the last of UConn as far as the out of conference schedule is concerned. All right, I think that's it about this episode of the Erator Sports Podcast. I do think it's time for me to get out of here? If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, whatever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give me a quick five stars. If you don't mind, just a quick five stars. Let the world know how much you love Taurus. Time for me to go. Time for me to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. Most importantly, hope everybody has an incredible Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, You know, as I get older, I don't mean to get sentimental, but I didn't, you know, today, you know, just waking up early to get the show done so that I could spend time with family. Listen, we only got so many times. We only, I don't mean to be all sentimental here on a Thanksgiving th- Thanksgiving Thursday. We only got so many trips around the sun. Enjoy the time with your family. Enjoy the time. Eat good. Hug. You know, drink good drinks if you're an, of an appropriate age. But listen, man, it's a special time of year. Hope everybody is enjoying their time with friends and family. And I appreciate you allowing Taurus to be a small part of your week. Shout out to Tour Craig. Shout out to Rachel who still hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F head, Unblock Me. By the way, let a little fun Thanksgiving thing. Found out Pat McAfee blocked me. I don't know. I don't know what I did. What do I do? I'm just Torres being Torres. Stay tuned. We'll be back on Monday. We'll be talking Michigan, Ohio State, and a lot of other stuff. See you soon, people.